watching the live video a little bit later than is typical uh, for a live stream. Usually we're live by noon, sometimes 1230, sometimes 1300. Today, 1330 Central Standard Time. There's no mystery as to why. We had a weekend. Weekend stuff builds up. Giant box of email to clear out. I have pretty much gone to not doing much with email on the weekends and not doing much with work on the weekends as far as the podcast and tech work. I spent most of my time outside. That's what I did this weekend. Got a lot of work done. My wife and I work together. Uh, it's always enjoyable to spend time with my wife even when we're working. So, hence the later than normal start. What do we got today? It's a listener feedback show, but because I know more of you will turn up, if I turn up the heat and the fire and brimstone, I actually titled today's show, The Dollar is Dying, Building Your Own Life and More. And I will give you what I promised. We are going to lead off the show with the fire and the brimstone about what's happening. A lot of what I'm going to talk about, you guys are probably aware of. You've heard us talk about it. You've heard a lot of it if you tuned in uh, last week when I was on with John and Nicole. I'm going to give it a new context, and I'm going to wrap up kind of that first half of the show with a stark reality. There's something that happened 14 days ago. And some of you will snap to what that is right away, and some of you won't. But when I when I say it, I think a lot of you will go, how does Jack know this shit? And it's only because I keep my eyes open. We're going to then turn the corner, and we're going to talk about um, something called the Grow Noster Initiative. That's going to be a very short segment, two or three minutes maximum. Tomorrow's episode will be all about that with an episode on Noster and growing on Noster and helping Noster grow. That will be a Bitcoin breakout episode, though we won't talk very much about Bitcoin on it. We're going to talk about Noster, and the two things are different, despite what some people seem to think. But one definitely goes with the other, like peanut butter doth go with jelly. Uh, we are also going to talk about today Azola and getting your hands on it if you don't have any. And we're going to answer a question. I never knew that anybody thought that they needed to find seed for Azola. That's not how it works, so I'll explain that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh a lot of scuttle that's going around right now about veterinary use of mRNA vaccines. And I'll tell you why I don't like it, but I'm less concerned about it than the alarmism that's being used to get you to click on shit. Okay. Um, I have a segment that somebody sent me just this morning. It's a TikTok video, but it's a little segment from the Joe Rogan experience. And it's a doctor, Dr. Mate. I can't ever remember the guy's first name, but he's talking about ADHD and what he says, I agree with, but I think something's missing there, and I'll expand on it. And I'll tell you that I think he's right, and this other thing is a big part of it. And we really shouldn't look to one versus the other. We should understand both, because one, nothing can be done about it. It's, all, it's in the past. But the second one, if it's your kids or your grandkids or what have you, something can be done about because it's in the present. Uh, next up today... Um, Hunter says, I don't know what you did, Jack, but TikTok has a bunch of biochar content. Hunter, they're probably just showing you biochar content because you're you're looking at biochar content and they know it because they're spying on you. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there is too. Anyway, mo moving on. Uh, we'll talk about ADHD. We'll talk about things like freedom cells. I got a question like, hey, am I going to get up on a list if I do this? Probably. And I'll tell you what my thoughts are on that. 
And we not, and sometimes when I say it's the end of the world as we know it, dogs and cats are having puppy kittens and it's raining puppy kittens from the sky. We do not have puppy kittens at Nine Mile Farm, but we have chicken ducks. And that's just a little fun thing I'll tell you about what we, uh, what I woke up to this morning. It was kind of cool. And I have a little video on it on the site. I'll bring the, a section of the video up, but since audio will be useless to anybody not watching the video, I'll just, when I'm talking about it, show you the video of me picking up a very angry little bantam chicken and seeing what is underneath her chicken ducks. The world is shifting. Ready or not, here it comes. Get non-brittle now. A little Jack kicking the ass at the end. And then I had a question about, or more of a comment from a member of this audience about, I, we moved out to the country and we had to quit. We bought six acres and it kicked our ass. I'm going to talk about how to not have that happen. And let you know about the Exit and Build seminar, which I'll talk about here in just a second. Because uh, what I want to do now, I want to remind you guys about our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Paul Wheaton's Low Tech Lab Kickstarter. This is the best thing I've ever seen Paul Wheaton do. And the last one he did with Helen Athrow on the Garden Master course, and I've been going through that course, holy crap, the value of it is insane. And I was like, what is he going to do after this? I figured it would take like a year. Just a few months later, here he is with the Low Temp Lab Kickstarter. This is stuff from the Permaculture Skills Jamboree that Paul does every year up in Montana. It's pretty freaking amazing, the list of things that you'll learn. All I'm going to say about it today is you guys need to look at this if you haven't yet. And if you contributed at like the $25 level or something like that, you need to think about upgrading to like the $100 support level. Because go look at the freaking stretch goals Paul has added. It really is kind of crazy. Uh, how much Paul has added to this. Next up, how would you like to come hang out with me live and in the flesh? Yes, Jack Spirgo himself and a lot of other cool people like Nicole Sauce and John Bush. It's going to be awesome. It is called the Exit and Build Summit. It's going to be in Bastrop, Texas. This is the second one of those I've spoke at. It's the third big event I've spoke at for John Bush. He does nothing half-ass, always top-rate stuff. Uh, going to be just a bunch of great speakers there. Jeff Lawton's going to be speaking. He won't be there in person, but he will be speaking virtually, doing a two-hour workshop. Uh, Michael Reynolds, Patrick Wood, myself, Derek Bros, John Bush, Nicole Sauce, Rebecca Bush. You want to come do this. This is fun. If you're like, you know, it's it's I'm going to have to get on an airplane. I want you to know you can fly into Austin, and most airports in major areas have direct flights to Austin. Very, very affordable. It's only about a 30-minute drive from the Austin airport out to Bastrop. Come on out. And you know what? There's a good chance. You guys sometimes hear me talk about my buddy David. Those of you that have been at workshops here, you know who that is. You want to meet my buddy David because he's a cool dude with a cool dog. Come because he's probably going to be there. Anyway, join us all at the Exit and Build Land Summit 3. 2023 in Bastrop, Texas. And please, if you would, if you're thinking about coming, use the link in the notes below or for the audio of today's show or something on my website because I do get a small commission in return for referring business to John. All right, guys, with that, I want to uh, dig straight into the fire and brimstone part of today. It gives me no great pleasure to talk about the things that we're talking about today. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that I don't like being right about stuff like this. I don't like the fact that I've been forecasting this across time since 
the beginning of the survival podcast, the complete destruction of the current economic paradigm, the fall of the dollar. And those of you that have been around, though, know I have never I have never once forecasted this in the light of something like Patriots, the coming collapse, where like some tin pot dictator from Tennessee takes over the country and the Belgians come give us gas and it's World War Three inside the United States. Like I have never done it that way. What I've said is it'll be this slow unwinding of the dollar. And then in the end, it will happen really, really quickly. And everybody will look around and go, how did this happen? And then everybody will blame each other. And then exactly what putting the pieces back together or what our future looks like is unknown. And there probably will be places where there'll be economic unrest and political unrest and cities will burn, but it probably won't be the, uh, the meltdown all the prepper porn novels seem to predict. And uh, guys, I, I got to tell you, it's happening way too close to the way I've said. So here's what's happened in the last couple of weeks. First of all, China and Brazil have reached an accord to trade in their own currencies, not using the United States dollar. This doesn't sound like a big deal unless you know that the United States dollar hegemony is predicated on forcing the majority of the world in their trade, no matter what their currency is, to go through the dollar as a medium of exchange with another international partner, specifically in the oil and gas market, but really everywhere. And right now, it's it, people think it's a hunt. There's like people, two types of people. This doesn't happen at all, or all the trading. No, it's it, it's nowhere near all trades. Like it's not like no one's ever done this since Bretton Woods two or something. But when you have this official agreement between Brazil and China, well, you need to understand it's not that Brazil and China are trading using the Chinese yuan. It's that Britain and or, I'm sorry, uh, Brazil and China, Britain and China, that would really like you see that then shit's gone. Right. The day Britain does it or the UK is more accurate. But let's just uh, China and Brazil have not just stated that, hey, we're going to do some trades with our own currency using the yuan, Right. No. What they have said is our trade going forward will be based on an exchange rate between, I guess, the Brazilian real, I think, is their currency and the Chinese yuan. Like, we're just going to trade from now on without you. We don't need you. We don't want you. There's no need for you in this America. Go screw. And a lot of people want to keep saying, well, you know, the Chinese economy is nowhere as big as the United States. Brazil's tiny compared to the United States. Okay, you. <laughs> this is like when a team loses two of their key players but keeps their starting quarterback. And you say it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. Maybe it's not as big a blow as losing that QB, but who's that QB going to throw to if you lose a key uh, lineman who protects him and one of his key targets, let's say a tight end that's good at coming across the middle? You've got a problem. And then how many players can that team lose before their standings start dropping, even if they're replaced with pretty good players, but they're all new and rookies and they don't have the experience? You're, you're starting to see like the competitors picking off those 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 hero players, right? That's what's happening. Like you can't say, "Oh, the the, the economy of Brazil's not that big." No, there's no such thing as a national economy that's not big. It is the biggest country 
uh, as far as is as production in our hemisphere are you know other than us and and China is the juggernaut and again I talked about this last week the G7 which is you know the the the, the hegemony headed up by the United States Japan Great Britain etc right we now have a GDP lower than the BRICS nations, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China. So what we need to understand heading up this hegemony is you can say that these nations aren't that big individually, but of the G7, we're the big dog. If you look at the GDP of you, you, the UK and start comparing to some of the BRICS nations, it ain't that impressive. This is, this is a pain point. But the bigger thing is, they're willing to do it in our face, thumbing their nose at us, right? That that's what's going on right now. The the they are not just doing this; they are doing it straight up and announcing that they're doing it. This is an intent, and I want you to start thinking about where this is all really going. Next up, of course, we sanctioned Russia, and we. You know, we tumbled their currency in the first 30 days, and then it rebounded, and ever nobody talked about it anymore. So the Chinese yuan is now the most traded currency in Russia, is what this 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 headline says from Bloomberg, as sanctions knocked the U.S. dollar out of the top spot. Yeah, we did this to ourselves, but we did this to ourselves. And, and as I'm reading the pushback on this narrative, Russia's economy's not that big. Oh, would you stop with the same bullshit? That, and if everything I tell you today, if you go look it up, you'll see some pieces by the media, by the talking heads, saying this is no big deal, this is no big deal. The thing about things that are no big deal, when you start stacking them up, all of a sudden they become a big deal. Let's say you were an advertising agency and you lost a customer. And that customer was a $25,000 a year client, not that big for an advertising agency. You might say, well, we're not happy about it, but it's not that big a deal. How many of those can you lose before it starts adding up to real money? How many do you have? And when you start losing little ones, do big ones start going, hey, wait a minute. Why are they leaving? Why are they leaving? And then what would you do? You would adapt to the situation, except we can't adapt to this situation. So we pissed off Russia. In, in backing Ukraine and throwing money at Ukraine, but Russia was still willing to do business with us. We said no, and we got all of our partners to say no. And then we kicked them out of the SWIFT system, which is the way you make international settlements, and then we clutch our pearls. Oh, my God, they're going to settle with the, with the Chinese one, with the Chinese? And if you, got, if you have a trading relationship with China, especially when you're as close to China as Russia is and you don't have to get a giant freighter ship across the ocean, you can pretty much get anything you want. You can pretty, so Russia can pretty much get anything that they want from China, and they're doing business in the one. So that's that's three of the BRICS nations doing all their business between each other with the Chinese one. Now, this keeps going. You you again, you have to start stacking this together and understanding what you're seeing here and what you're looking at, and kind of look at it with a Military mindset is how you have to look at this. And then think about the fact these nations are adversarial to the United States, right? So it is natural that your adversaries would take a time when you're weak and use it as a moment to attack you. But maybe attack doesn't look like the TV says where there's bombs and missiles. Maybe the attack is economic. So 
I talked about this last week, but but Japan said to Russia, okay, we'll buy your oil and we will pay above the cap. So the G7, NATO, et cetera, all got together, Russia, bad, bad, bad Putin, right? And said, we will, we will, we know some nations need to, you know, buy from Russia because, well, if we don't, they're going to like starve and not have enough oil and gas. So we can't say don't buy it at all. But what we'll do is we'll put a price cap on it and we'll put that below the market. So Russia's getting less than market value for their oil. And Japan said, again, you know, that's not really working for us anymore because, well, Russia doesn't really want to do it that way. Think about the fact that you let's say you had something that would sell for $60 and we're talking something you're going to sell me hundreds of thousands of units of. And it's worth 70 bucks, but I'm going to pay you 60 and you have no choice but to take it. You're not really happy about that. You might eventually just say, you know what? Don't need it. That's what happened back channel. That's what happened back channel. And if you look up the mainstream talking heads, bullshit about this, they'll tell you this. The U.S. granted an exception for Japan to buy Russian oil above $60 a barrel cap. See, we just told them we understand Japan. It's okay. You go do that. And they said, okay, we'll go do that. No. No. Japan made the announcement. Then we granted the exception. You see, think about how weak a supervisor would look if there was a rule in the office. Let's say the rule was uh, you have to wear a collared shirt. And one day an employee or group of employees showed up and they wore a T-shirt like mine, the politics T-shirt that I'm wearing right now. Yeah. And the supervisor went, oh, tisk, 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 and then thought about it for a minute and went, Jack's a dick. He's wearing his T-shirt, but he's a dick, and he doesn't need to work here. I can't make him stay. I'll probably have him walk out if I go do this. So he walks out. He gets a memo around the office. We have granted Jack Spirico an exception to the collared shirt rule for, and then made up some reason as to why. That's what just happened here. That's what you said. Let me go. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll grant you an exception. And Japan's like, well, that's nice. Okay. That's nice, but we're doing it anyway. What really happened is what, what is the alternative to granting the exception? The alternative would be to some way punish Japan, another G7 nation and one of our allies and, and ruin that relationship while half the world is turning on us. Not a very good option. Not a very good option considering what's going on. Now, remember, in addition to this, the French, who are NATO allies, have just agreed to buy oil or actually to sell natural, I'm sorry, sell natural gas to China using the yuan against the euro. No dollar. This is all starting to come together and it looks very, very nasty. What you also have to understand is how screwed our banks are. Again, the narrative that you were given, which is total effing bullshit, steaming giant piles, maggots, bullshit everywhere about the Silicon Valley Bank and all that other shit was these banks made risky tech investments that were tied into cryptocurrency. No, they bought U.S. freaking bonds. They bought treasury bonds because they were told to buy treasury bonds by our government and the Federal Reserve with money that was doled out to them as loans during COVID at very, very low interest rates so they could skim the difference. 
classic arbitrage. We lend you money at like half of a one of a quarter of a tenth of a percent. And then you're only going to make like one percent, but you're going to make one percent in perpetuity because you can just buy all the bonds you want. And you know, we're good for the money. Don't worry about it. So these banks did what they were asked to do. They went out and bought all these bonds. But these bonds are like five year, 10 year bonds. These bonds have to go to maturity to get that one percent. So what's happening when these bond, these banks are put under any pressure and need to cover deposits, then they have to go sell some of these bonds. And you might be like, but bonds are the gold standard. The bond is a guaranteed rate of return across time, assuming the, the lending party doesn't default, and the U.S. isn't defaulting yet anyway. And so if I can hold that bond that I bought a five-year bond at 1.25% for five years, my money's fine. I'm going to get my money back plus my 1.25%. But what happens if two years into it, you can go buy a bond from the government directly and get 4.5%, and I need to cash my bond in early. There's actually a way to go to the government, and they'll pay me a discounted rate on getting my money back, or I can sell it on the market and get my money, right? Except what are you going to pay me for it? Why would you tie up, let's say, because this is not small change. As you guys can see on the on the screen right now, I have a headline up. U.S. banks sitting on an unrealized loss of $620 billion. This is like when you have a stock that you're holding and it's dropped by a bunch, but you don't need to sell it. You have an unrealized loss. You've actually lost nothing as long as you have the time to wait for it to recover and exceed what it originally was purchased at. But when you have to sell it, you have to take what the market will bear. If you could buy a five-year bond and get 3.5%, and I want to effectively sell you what's left of, of a five-year bond at three years, and you're going to get like 0.25%, you know I'm desperate so you're going to pay me in such a way that you're going to get better returns by buying my bond mid-schedule mid, mid, mid than if you bought a new bond. You're not going to do it for the same or less. You would just go buy the new bond. So these banks are under massive stress because of the government and the Fed's policy. And the Fed has shown, shown no sign in letting up and increasing rates. And every time they increase the rates, right, Every time they increase the rates, the pain for all those bonds being held goes up. And then whenever there's stress on that bank, the loss they have to take to convert the bond into capital goes up. And we're just about out of money we can keep throwing into this stupid little game because nobody wants to do it anymore. By the way, um, I, I last week told you guys that uh, Wells Fargo was giving people $2,500 to open an account with a quarter million dollars in it, hold it for at least 90 days. So that's 1%. So it's like a 4% CD, which is, well, it's not that great, really, when you look at what you can do with money right now. Well, why would they do that? Well, it turns out Chase is doing pretty much the same thing, but they're giving you $2,000 for $300,000 in a Chase. And I wonder how many other banks are doing that. So right now, banks are paying you to put money in the bank and hold it for a, a sp very specific period of time. Now, this you don't have to be a switched-on economic analysis-type uh, individual to get. I showed that story to my wife, and she says, this scares the shit out of me. 
this is not my wife's world, but she got it really quick. So, yeah, our banks are sitting on $620 billion in losses, unrealized, all in government uh, bonds, which, again, this is the you don't have to worry. It's, it's all good. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's the safest thing you could put your money in. That's what actually crashed the banks. Now, here's something that's going to seem a lot different than these other ones, but it's directly related to it. And it also bodes as to what the state of Texas might be thinking. And I know since I live here, some of you think when I talk about secession or state sovereignty that I'm blinded by bias. I'm not. It is what it is. The other thing is, it's not like I trust the government of Texas any more than I trust the government of Georgia or Florida or pretty much anywhere. I don't trust government. But I also analyze what people do, and I know that people do things that are in their own self-interest. And I ask myself, why would you do this? So Texas is now moving to create a gold-backed digital currency. This is a directive, and it's inside the text of Senate Bill 2334. And it says the comptroller shall establish a digital currency that is backed by gold so that each unit of digital currency issued represents a particular fraction of troy ounces of gold held in trust. Okay? So what they're saying is they want the state of Texas to have Texas's version of Bitcoin gold. That, that's the best way to understand what this, what this is. And, again, you might think, well, that's a totally different thing than this other stuff that Jack's been talking about. And is Jack advocating for digital currencies now? No, here's what I'm going to tell you is going on. I think the state of Texas is looking forward and saying, maybe we have no plans to secede anytime soon, but man, some shit could go down and we need to be able to stand on some level of sovereignty and we can't do it without money. So a lot of people think that the constitution says the United States has to use a gold standard, a gold or silver or gold and silver standard. It does not. I'm sorry. I don't care how many times people repeat that myth. The provision in the Constitution that specifies silver and gold and coining money applies to the states, not the federal government. Okay? And even if I know that some but if you would just listen to me about Supreme Court decision from 1869, no, I don't care. It ain't happening. But you can't show me a thing in the Constitution that prohibits the federal government from creating money by anything. But it does restrict the state. So if the state is going to stand in the open, thumb on the, the nose, nah, 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 and do this openly, which the state of Texas looks like it's doing, then it has to be that they're using gold and silver or gold or silver to coin money. Now, in the past, Texas has already built a huge gold reserve. No one talks about it. But the state of Texas has been involved in increasing the state's gold reserve for quite a while now. Yeah. So the reserve was put in place. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that the federal government can say that makes this move unconstitutional. Because the state of Texas say, well, we're issuing, these, well, it's a digital currency. It's backed. It's audited. It's a gold-backed currency. We're using gold to coin money. Go screw. And you could make a 
originalist argument that coin money is to be taken literally. And if you're not actually coining it and you can fight that all you want, but it's not going anywhere. And Texas is going to do it anyway. Why? Because there are people in Texas that see what's happening. So let's go back to all the other shit that I gave you. Right. Which, which should be, if this, like somebody said, where's the fire? This is the fire. And if this is not sending your alert hackles up on your neck, you're not understanding what I'm saying. You have all these nations, some adversarial, some friendly, participating in a new global economic order, okay? And then you have things accelerating very, very, very quickly because I did an episode of this podcast, 3277, 14 days ago, and it was called, Will the Dollar Lose Global Reserve Status? So two Mondays ago, I did that episode. Everything I gave you happened after that episode. All of this happened in the last 14 days. What you have right now is a classic three-pronged attack, pincher move by our adversaries to damage and or destroy the global reserve status of the United States dollar. And the way this works, let's, let's take it from a pure military vantage point and understand what that means. There has never, in the history of warfare, been a sustained three-prong full-on assault by one power on another where the one that was assaulted didn't fall. When you get an actual three-front three attack, and I don't mean, you know, two of your guys went out and flanked I don't mean that. I mean full-on force-on-force engagement, three prongs in, the enemy dies or capitulates every time. This is like that, but it's more like an amoeba or some sort of microorganism that's actually much slower than the organism it eats. But it moves in really slowly, and it's much larger than this other organism, and it very slowly wraps itself around the organism, and next thing the organism knows, it is surrounded, and it's inside the thing that's going to digest it. That's the dollar right now with this new global economic reality. Does that mean that our adversaries will win? It doesn't mean they will, but it doesn't look good right now. It doesn't look like we have any plan to stop it. That's the other thing. It really looks to me like the plan the United States government has is to use this as an excuse for a CBDC, and as much damage as it does, we don't care. The billionaire class began movement to China before I started this podcast in 2008. I remember quoting Jim Rogers in 2009 saying his children were learning Mandarin for a reason. This is a very slow implemented three-pronged attack, but you're watching the back end of the organism come together right now. And what are we doing about it? We are increasing our diversity in the White House. We're increasing our diversity in the military. We're going woke. This is our response to this, right? We're making exceptions for people on our team to do business with the enemy. That's what we're doing because we don't, I cannot for a minute believe that there is any real intent 
by the people in power to stop this or even fight it in any meaningful way because we've done everything wrong. And you it's either incompetence, intent, or more likely resignation. Like just a, an understanding that, you know, remember, politics is a game invented by psychopaths. That's what it says on my shirt. It's the first line, right? And the psychopaths are not the people that you see. The people that you see run by sociopaths. That's the bureaucrats that you see. The ones that the Fauci's of the world are the sociopaths, right? And play by idiots. The idiots are the people that do most of the talking. Your Brandon's, your Kamala Harris's, right? All of them. The ones that you hear from on a regular basis. They're the idiots, not the voters. That's not what that means in, on this shirt. And the idiots do what they're told by the sociopaths, and the sociopaths do what they're told to do by the psychopaths. The psychopath is smart, so is the sociopath. They're the intelligent ones. They're the competent ones. They've been trying to hold on to power, and they've been in power for decades. Now, this country is a bully. We are a bully by every imagination of the world, and we are a multi-generational bully at this point. So this is a lot like, in a way, Roman emperors. So generally, the first Roman emperor in kind of a new line in a rebuilding mode of the empire is a very good, competent emperor. And even if they're flawed, because all men are flawed, they do their best for the empire. And generally, their heir is pretty solid. And the longer you go out, the quicker it goes to shit. Because the youth are born into the power, and the power is addictive. And in, in, in addition to it being addictive, they've done nothing to earn it, except they were born, or in our case, hired. But when you have something as big as the United States, you have that many brains, eventually those brains even realize, okay, guys, jigs up. Jigs up. And, and this, is a, this is a mess. This is a mess, and this is not going to stop, and it's not going to slow down. In another two weeks, you're going to go, holy shit, I can't believe how far this has gone. And by the end of this year, you're going to look back at this year and go, man, ah, 2020 was a freaking train wreck. Renegade Butcher is calling it oligarch suicide. Yeah, in a way. I don't think the oligarchs plan to lose. I think they plan to adapt. It's more like bureaucratic suicide. I don't know. We'll see. But I think I think there'll be plenty of oligarchs hurt by this as well. I want to go on to something totally different. Uh, I want to transition in this and talk about how we treat children in this country. And I I, I want you to think about everything we just said as you listen to this and realize this is what we're doing to our own people. Now, again, I can't remember this guy's first name, but Matei is Dr. Matei is his last name. This is a clip from the Joe Rogan experience about ADHD. And I have a link to the YouTube segment that's about 15 minutes long. instead of the two minutes I'm about to give you right now of the entire segment. Totally worth your time to take a listen to. But let's go listen to this, and then let's kind of talk about what this means. This is only a one-minute segment. What does it mean? 
ADHD. And a lot of the so-called experts say it's the most heritable mental illness there is. And mm. I say it's neither an illness nor is it heritable. Difficulty paying attention, so kind of tuning out, poor impulse control, difficulty sitting still. If I were to stress you right now, what would be your options of dealing with that? I could get upset or I could leave. Exactly. Yeah. You could fight back, flight or fight, yeah? But what if you didn't have those options? Then you're stuck. And now what does the brain do when you're stuck like that? It gets tunes out. Yeah, tunes out. In other words, it's a coping mechanism. Infants can't help but absorb the stress of their parents. Right. All we could do is tune out. But when is this tuning out happening? When our brain is being developed, the most salient feature of the environment that should is actually the relationship with the parents. If the parents are present and emotionally attuned, child brains develop properly. But the parents are stressed, the child absorbs the stress, what can they do with it? They tune out. And that tuning out thing is programmed into the brain. And then 10 years later, we say, you got this disease. No, you don't. You've got a coping mechanism that's no longer working for you. What does it mean? So um, this Dr. Matei, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with this gentleman. He has been around a long time. He's been involved in a lot of things. Really interesting guy. Gabor, that's it. Gamor Bate. Um, he is 100% on the nurture side of nurture versus nature. This is a guy he's been used in quite a few documentaries where they talk about if everybody just had what they needed and was supported emotionally and financially and everybody had what they needed, we wouldn't really have many criminals and, and what have you. Uh, I don't fully buy into that. I definitely think there's something to it. I think we can take, you know, two identical twins if they were put up for adoption, raised in the absence of knowledge that the other existed in totally different households. We would probably have two very different individuals as far as, you know, what they do as far as uh, like their criminal record, if they have one, their their dietary habits, all of that. On the other hand, we've had twins grow up in the same exact household, treated the same way, and one of them's a career criminal and the other one's a priest, right? So that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily carry water. And I think that we are way overly simplifying it if we say this is because of the way you were treated when you were a baby by your parents. This classic psychology, if we get you to say it's all your dad or mom's fault or both, then you'll be cured, right? And I don't think this guy's that bad, but there is kind of that bent in science. Once we get you to where you admit you hate your mother, then we can make progress, right? Um, Joe starts this out, if you listen to the whole segment, talking about school, and he talks about a commercial that he watched that, 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 that got this conversation going on this interview. In the commercial, he said there's this kid, and he's kind of acting up and not paying attention and tuning out and whatever, and then they give him a drug, and then the, his his classmates are clapping for his achievements, and he's well focused. And he becomes an obedient slave to the system, and this is what disturbed Joe. This is where I think the bigger problem with so-called ADHD is. I don't think it's that when you're six months old and your parents are stressed that you are vibing on uh, their stress and you're becoming ADHD, I, you know, by tuning out. I think you know. I think that there's something to that. And I think in, in, in the full conversation, they also talk about how, you know, parents leave children crying instead of picking them up and comforting them. And then that child is in a state of fear and they develop this coping. I'm sure all of that plays into this, but nothing plays into it. Like putting Johnny in a chair and expecting Johnny to sit for four hours, then have a lunch, then sit for four more hours and listening to shit. Johnny doesn't give a square root of F all about. OK, that's there's nothing that does that more than that. Yeah. So 
I do agree with the assessment, though. It is a coping mechanism. That's what ADHD is. So while we have all this, this is why these two are like, we have all this crap going on. All this crap going on in the world. Yeah. Our solution to our domestic issue of children are not paying attention is to medicate them into submission. Probably not a good idea. And if there has ever been a case to get your kids out of school, the way we categorize children is to having a mental illness that is not a mental illness and prescribing drugs as a solution to making them compliant, quiet, and sit still. That's the biggest reason ever. It really is. That's the biggest reason ever. Um, I want to talk about next a soft launch of something I'm calling Grow Noster. I'm not going to talk about this very much today, though I'm going to give some of you a head start who are initiative takers. So since I got on Noster about a month ago, I'm really enjoying it. I'll talk about why and how and what tomorrow. But I've had one complaint that I think is somewhat legitimate. And that is, you know what, Jack? I got on Noster. I follow you on Twitter. You post cool shit over there, but... I followed like most of the people you follow to start finding people because I didn't know what else to do. And my feed is nothing but Bitcoin stuff. Bitcoin stuff and like Bitcoin art. And I'm just you know, even some of you are like, I like Bitcoin, but that's not what I'm on social media for. Or that's not all I'm on social media for. There's not enough variety. Well, I personally think Noster is not just something that we can use to make clones of Twitter. It is a payments system. It is a marketplace waiting to happen and spread out a thousand different ways. It is a on-ramp to no KYC Bitcoin in a real way. And it's a lot more. But it, if it is going to be a means of communication, then people need to talk about things on it other than Bitcoin. So here's the short version of the program. More on Noster and the full program tomorrow that you want to be part of. All it is is when you make a post on Noster that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, you use hashtag grow Noster in the post. And then people can follow that or look that up on a daily basis and find people who post cool shit that doesn't have anything to do with Bitcoin to follow. It is just a way initially for you to build community and followers and find people to follow. When you do that, if you're using a hashtag, let's throw something else in there. If it's a grow Noster post and it's about permaculture, put that in there. When you look at those Grow Noster posts, you click the other tags that you find interesting, see if there's anybody else to follow. And the basic of the program will be you follow at least two people a day that you find that way and some other stuff. And you make at least two posts a day. And I'll give you the rest tomorrow. But it's just basically making posts with content about something, anything other than Bitcoin, so we can grow the diversity in the conversation. We have to start looking at these means of communication like a telephone. You talk about with what you want to the people that you want to talk about to. I don't even want to, I don't even want to, to try to push this anymore right now. I'm soft launching it today. Tomorrow there'll be a blog post out that outlines the full content I will do a show on Noster and this program as a Bitcoin breakout episode. 
I just wanted you to be aware of it. So as we start pushing people into it, it's not all Jack's group of us. And there's already two or three of you guys doing it. And we're also going to have a thing where you agree to zap a certain number of people a day. If you don't want that, is wait till tomorrow. We are going to change. We're going to to create the greatest onboarding into new technology ever, in my opinion, with this. Even if this isn't the thing. If this is just the catalyst that starts it. Somebody comes up with something better, I'll jump on it. I don't see this being a permanent program. This is an early adopter program. And it's designed to get things headed in the right direction. And I'm really excited about it. And we'll talk about that more tomorrow. I got an email from a guy today asking me about a plant called Azola, for those that are familiar with it. And Azola is a little fern, little tiny fern plant. Uh, A big piece of Azola is about the size of a dime. Some of it's much smaller, depending on how much nutrient, how much light, water temperature, et cetera. It floats on the water. And it's a nitrogen fixer. It has a relationship with certain bacteria in the water that allows it to fix nitrogen on its roots. The same way that, not the same way, but in a similar way to the way a bean has a relationship with bacteria in the soil. And it fixes nitrogen and nodules on its roots. And this means that this plant can be used as fertilizer. You can literally take it out of the water and mulch plants with it and fertilize them. You can compost it and make fertilizer. And it's also high protein. It makes a good feed. So we've talked about it a lot. I did a show a couple weeks ago on combining Azola and biochar as a low-tech method of of doing all kinds of cool shit on the homestead. And someone emailed me, and I just never even thought I would get this email. They wanted to know, one, what variety to buy. It doesn't matter. Most of it's all the same. Uh, They wanted to know – actually, there's several emails. Another person wanted to know – where do I get it? Uh, there's a plant called uh, a site called Pond Megastore, I think is what it's called. I have a link in the audio notes for you guys today on that where you can get it. But you can get it on eBay. You can get it on Etsy. You don't have to worry about a reliable, trustworthy source. It's a Zola. You're going to spend 10 bucks for a bag of it. As long as the guy has a good seller rating, you can buy it from him. It's going to be okay. right? But this was the one that I got this morning, and I'm like, where did anybody even get that? And I'm not picking on the guy. I'm like, did I not communicate this well? Where do I get seed? Because I don't want to buy plants. It's a plant that clones itself. That's what makes it reproduce so fast. Each Azola, within about two days to three days, under good growing conditions, makes a new one. So you get two, then you get four, then you get eight, then you get 16, then you get 32. We all probably did the thing in school where you take a piece of paper and you fold it in half and see how many times you can go. And I don't remember if it's eight seven or eight, there's some limit to where you can't fold it anymore because the doubling has compounded. And so then the teacher says, well, what do you think we can do about this? And all the kids are like, bigger piece of paper. So you get like a big-ass piece of newspaper, and you get the same number of folds, and you end up in the same position. You can't do it anymore because that's how compound doubling works. That's why Azola and duckweed both produce so much biomass. Now, the thing is, they will get to a point where it gets so thick, it'll stop reproducing because it can't get light down to the bottom. It'll start to like suffocate itself. So that's it's you know that's why it doesn't take over the planet, right? It can only do so well in certain conditions for so, and it'll get about a half inch of mat, and it really won't grow much anymore. But if you keep taking out, it'll keep growing. So you don't get seed. And sometimes people will say it sounds expensive because it's like a quarter cup of azola for like eight bucks or whatever. If you have a place for that stuff to go, and please do before you get it, and you give it what it wants, 
you will not worry about it ever again for the rest of your life as long as you can overwinter it. I overwinter it here by doing nothing, right? If, if you could throw a little bit in a nutrient-rich fish tank with a light over it inside in the super coldest climates, and it, it's native well north of here, so most of you won't even have to do that. That's all you need. So Azola does not use seed. Um, pond, pond Plant Megastore or Pond Plant Store or whatever it is that's linked here, um, good source, lots of other cool stuff there. But if you want to pick it up from an individual seller on eBay or uh, uh, Etsy or something like that, go ahead. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. It's not like, you know, at least with Comfrey, we have like Bucking 4 and Bucking 14. There's a bunch in the middle that no one ever gets. And we got Comfrey Aficionalis, which is wild form. And there's three distinct varieties on the market. Azola is Azola is Azola is Azola. And so don't worry about that at all. Next up, um, there's been a lot of chatter going on lately about they're going to vaccinate us in our food. And they're going to do it because they're going to give mRNA vaccinations to pigs and cows. Um, this is the first part. Well, I guess the second part is true. They are going to give mRNA vaccines to pigs and cows. There's been research going on to it for years, long before they actually rolled it out as human vaccinations. Um, one of the things to understand, and I believe that the industry generally does this, is there are regulations that if an animal receives a vaccine, there's a period of time after that vaccination that no products from that animal can be sold. That animal can't be slaughtered for meat. If it was a chicken, it couldn't produce eggs and be sold to the market, et cetera. Um, and that's generally 60 days. Some things it's less, but generally it's 60 days. I don't know how long um, the spike proteins would persist in an animal if they were vaccinating them for COVID, because this is not just a COVID thing. This is like a form of vaccine that they're going to use. But I don't have a massive concern that a cow would get a shot and then 60, 90 days later be processed as a beef cow, cut up, cooked, ingested, and passed through pretty much anything to a human. Is it possible? Yeah. Am I going to lose my mind over it? No. And I would say that you know, the thing is, most of you that are eating beef, unless you're buying it from your known producer, especially grass-fed, it's either coming from Australia or Brazil. Now, pork's a different thing. Most pork that we consume in the United States is domestically produced. Uh, but the reality is most U.S. beef, unless you're buying direct, is exported to Europe. And then we import Brazilian and Australian and New Zealand beef. Not all, but a lot of it. I'm just going to say this is one of those things that's a concern but you should probably be more concerned about the death of the United States dollar as a global reserve currency. It's a lot likely to hit you somewhere square faster. Whether it be as our economy tanks and you lose a job because you get laid off or you continue to suffer from the ravages of inflation, this is a much bigger concern. So Jack's not saying don't worry about this. Jack's saying keep an eye on this. But Jack's also saying the people that are shrieking like maniacs they're going to kill us all. Like, I'm, I'm putting them in the same category as I put them in. They're mostly the same people that said the clot shot was going to kill us all. And I said it's going to have awful side effects. I'm not taking. I don't recommend that you take it. It's your own choice here. 
But it's not going to kill us all. Not everybody that gets it's going to die or even be seriously harmed. Time has shown that to be the case, and they'll keep saying eventually, right? Um, again, that's your own choice. But I think when we start this, you know, everybody shit about every, we could probably drop freaking biological weapons and not kill everybody. Somebody's going to be immune to just about anything. That was one of the ways we knew they were full of shit with this whole COVID thing when they said no one's immune. There's nothing no one's immune to, and you can't know that anyway, right? That's a bullshit statement. So I would just, I would take this with a grain of salt, and I would be very careful listening to people who are hyping it to the extreme for the purpose of getting your attention. Because as much good work has been done on the activist side to push back against this crap inside this whole world of the COVIDs, there's a lot of attention-seeking online whores in it as well, and I'll leave it at that. And I think that the attention-seeking online whores are going full on with this because the reality is the interest in it is fading. Because most people have either decided they're going to go along with what they were told and quit, keep, keep hitting their boosters, or I would submit to you that if you're a person right now in 2023 that has not gotten one of these things, there's nothing anybody could say ever, ever, ever infinity to make you do it. And you've probably looked at the people who are willing to and thought, nothing I can say will change their mind either. So you just went on with your life. And so did they. So there's people that they have built everything they have in an online presence on this one thing. And because of that, as it fades, they'll, they'll use anything, even real things that they'll accentuate to keep you paying attention to them. That's why I've never been about one thing ever because I want to help and teach people not use alarmism in one thing to get your attention for a time, right? That's all, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Uh, next up, somebody emailed me and said they thought about joining John uh, Bush's Freedom Cell Network and looking for people close to them, what have you, but then they would be on a list. John's response to this is, well, if we're on a list, all on the list, then it doesn't matter. The thing is, we're not all on that list. I can't say that's without risk, but I would say that most people that are worried about being on a list are probably already on a bunch of lists. You know, if you've lived your life pretty much underground as far as your online presence, and what have you, maybe not, but most of the, if you're someone that goes out and posts stuff about, you know, fraudulent elections or, you know, pushed back against the COVIDs, or, you're on a list. It's just which ones and how many, right? And I think there is also something to like, am I on a list? Probably. So am I going to worry about it? No. Um, we tend to worry more about things that, that could happen than already have. I don't know that I would let that stop me, but I also, I, I, I love John. I love working with him. He's a great dude. But from what I've seen with Freedom Cells, this is a very mixed bag. Uh, there are groups that are really strong and most, most the rest of it is just, there's nothing. People sign up for a site. Maybe they go have a coffee with somebody and that's about it. I think if you want to build a way to press back, it's less about Freedom Cells and it's more about just doing what makes sense as a human being and making as many connections as you can. And if you use freedom cells to leverage that, then great. And if you don't, then great. And I, I, I don't, but what I don't think is that people should now start worrying about being on a list for anything. I think that this is the point in time 
where we all have to be assertive into what we want. So I wouldn't say do it or don't do it based on that criteria. I would say do it or don't do it based on do you think what it represents will benefit you? And I would say the same thing about everything that people think about this way. We've gotten to a point, I think, on our side of this where a lot of people feel like like this unreasonable sense of neurosis that they're going to come get you. They have their own problems. They have their own problems. We just talked about for the first half of the show, all the problems. They don't have a lot of time to come get you because you signed up for a list of something. Now there's always the one offs. You have that, uh, that uh, district attorney Bragg, the guy that indicted Trump for bullshit. And that's not a pro Trump thing. That's just a reality thing. But he indicted somebody over a meme. Like no, like a no shit legitimately indicted a guy over a meme because he said it was election interference. Um, so that kind of stuff can happen, but that was more an analysis of social media and what can I do for attention because the attention whores are everywhere and they really are. Um, I, I, I don't know. You have to decide that for yourself, but I won't worry about it. Now, how about something fun? And I've got this muted uh, because. Again, if I show it or if I play it and uh, the people watching the audio would do nothing for us, so I'll just talk about it. But this morning I went out to the chicken coop and I saw four baby ducks pile out and get trampled by all the other ducks, start peeping and find mom. And I saw a fifth baby duck and he or she plummeted out of the goop and then stood there and it's so small it can't really get through the grass to catch up to everybody else and it was running around like checking like roosters like are you my mama no you're not so I picked it up and I went back inside and I said I bet I know what happened I bet the little white chicken had a hatch and so I picked her up and when I did she just has like six babies underneath her and she was very unhappy with me. And again, there's no audio here, but if you guys are watching this, she made a pretty good shriek when I picked her up and she she's got her little mutant babies and she's got some unhatched eggs there as well. And, uh, they're all staying together. So once I put baby back with mama, he went up under the wing and everybody seems all happy and copacetic. But what seems to be happening, uh, where these chickens are hatching these ducks and they're leaving and they're going off with the other ducks is I don't think that they're like going, Oh, this, this bird is not my mom. I think if you see the way these, these ducks are acting, they are very much attached to her, but as they get a little bit mobile and ducks get mobile really fast, like within 12 hours, they're, they're kind of running around some. And within about four days, they're, you know, a duck, which they all hatch, she'll have four day old ducks falling her around and, and they'll cover a couple acres. And that little bird will keep up mostly anyway. And um, so I think what's happening is they're coming out of the of the the hidden area and they're coming out, you know, um, before I let them out in the morning, they're hearing the other baby ducks peep and then they're following those baby ducks. And uh, so one of our uh, chicken moms actually lost all of her babies to a duck that now has her babies like they followed and they caught up in, in time. I'm hoping this one will actually be able to raise these. Cause it's kind of cool 
to watch them as they do. And the ducklings start going in the water tanks and they start freaking like, this is wrong, you know? And, uh, honestly with these little bantam chickens, it only takes these ducks about four weeks and they're as big as she is. And at six weeks, they're bigger than her. And by then she's kind of like gone on about her chicken life. Uh, but it's, it's kind of cool to watch a chicken hatch and raise baby ducklings. And this is as good a reason as any to have bantams. Uh, because they are so broody and they do things like this. Uh, so I just thought that was fun and I wanted to throw that at you before we got, you know, all real again about what's going on here. I, I really think that it is very important to understand that, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't do things solely for the purpose of getting your attention. I know that if I change the title of an episode, it might get a few more eyeballs. I, I understand that. I am a marketer by trade. But in general, if I bring something to you like I brought to you today about what's going on with the global economic system, I don't do it so that you'll pay attention to my show and share it and, 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 and try to blow me up virally. That's not me. And I've been doing this 15 years, and I think I have a track record that shows that to be the case, that, that that's not what I do. I'm doing it because I have genuine concern and I want you to be prepared. Now, I've also been saying something else for a very long time. Again, I've been doing the show, for those that are newer to it, 15 years. So I started it in June 2008, June 20th, 2008. So June 20th this year will be our 15-year birthday of the Survival Podcast. And since I started it, I have been saying, look forward. So now you're thinking we're 12 years prior to 2020. And I said, watch the decade 2020 to 2030. It will be the largest decade of flux any living human has ever seen. In some ways, it will have more flux in it than any three decades you've seen or any living person has seen combined. That if you took a person from 2020 to 2030, they would not recognize the world. And it would be technology, but it would also be the world order. There's just this giant shift in everything. You're now staring at it. And it's very hard to accept that this is the now. Most people that would listen to content like I put out, if I said to you, the dollar will die eventually, the United States global empire will, will rot away eventually, the reality of the debt-backed fiat system will eventually crash and there will be a giant shift in how the world operates. A lot of, you know, they call people normies. A lot of normies would say, yeah, but most of you would be like, yeah. But there's a big difference in it being 10 years, 20 years, 30 years out. Then you're standing in the middle of the singularity watching the ship be sucked into the black hole right now that you're in it. But you are. I'm sorry if it's not the time that you wanted to be here, but it is the time that you are here. And it's probably not as bad as some people would make it out to be, and it's probably a lot worse than a lot of people would make it out to be. We have a thing about us as beings that we do, and like horror writers, science fiction writers and all, they play into one side of it, which is we, we take things to the extreme. We make them worse than they are. Like the best horror movies or horror stories never really – totally reveal what the threat is because your mind can create something scarier than the author ever could for you. But we also have another tendency 
We believe in things that are comforting in many ways for the same type of reason that that Joe Rogan segment was on about children coping through ADHD. Since I can't fight back and since I can't run away, I'll tune you out. That's what that doctor, uh, Matei, said ADHD. I'm sitting in class and I can't run and I can't fight. So I tune out. Yeah. And that coping mechanism is a very similar coping mechanism to I will embrace a thought that is comforting. It's all going to be okay because. And since we are predisposed to that, when the MSN hands a narrative is completely ridiculous as to why this giant explosion over here is not anything to worry about. That's why it's so effective, because we will take the medicine with the teaspoon of sugar, most of us, every time. There's no sugarcoating this. There's no, sh- and when I say it probably won't be as bad as some people think, it's not a sugarcoating. It's a statement that I know how the darkness works in people's minds, and I know how dark that gets, and I know people in our, our space are prone to reading things like prepper porn novels, and every prepper porn novel is a giant civil war in the United States. And everybody's blowing everything up. And like I said, the Patriots, the Belgians come in and gas us. And like, this is not reality. And it would be a boring book to write about what's about to happen in an unknowing world. I think it'll be, there'll be very interesting books to read, you know, when I'm an old, old, old ass man, if I'm still around. When this is actual history. When this is 20, 30 years behind us. I think then it will become interesting. But I think as trying to capture imagination looking forward, it would be a challenge. And I think that's why authors tend to lean on the extreme versus, you know, what does it look like when the United States can no longer make a nation do a thing with a check for all intents and purposes? Imagine being really rich, right? Because it's easier to think of how an individual thinks than an entity, an organization like the United States hegemony oligarchy is, right? So you're this really rich guy. And you were born rich. Your dad was born rich. Your granddad was born rich. Like, your great-great-grandfather made the original money. And you're kind of a shitbag because you've not known another way. And whenever you had a problem, you just said, well, how much is it going to cost me? And they said, well, that's going to cost you $500,000. And you went... All right, here, make it go away and make me some money while you do it to give me my 500. And it always worked. And then one day you have a problem. And you think I will squish this, this problem like a bug. So how much is it they want? Now they said to go screw. Did you ask them how much they want? Yeah, they said to go screw. Well, here, offer them a check. They sent it back and they mushroom stamped it. For those that know what that means, well, they sent it back. They don't care. And then you said, all right, release the hounds. And they said, we don't have any hounds for this. And you're sitting there for the first time in your adult life with a problem you can't make go away. Now be, now make the bad guy in that, that's you, right, and stepped into that. Make that the United States of America. As we lose that global reserve status, and we are, do not let anybody tell you we're not doing it right now, that it's not happening right now. The ability of us to look at a country, some third world country or what have you, and say, we want this from you, and write a blank check to get it done is dissolving. 
And at the same time, we have crippled our military capability. Our military force is not the military force that it was 10 years ago. It is far weaker and far less well-organized and far less capable. It is still the most dominant military force in the world, but we ain't taking on Russia and China at the same time. That's a nonsensical fantasy idea. We just spent 20 years in Afghanistan losing a war to people that copulate with goats. Okay? That's the truth. The, I don't, and this is not disrespectful to the men who fought in that at all. We'll always see them as my veteran brothers. Always. But it is what happened. You can say, well, if we did this, or well, we didn't. We lost. We lost the war in Afghanistan. And anybody who tries to reframe it, it's just like a person that tried to reframe Vietnam. We won all the battles. Doesn't matter. That's the scoreboard at the end is what matters. And in many ways, we lost Afghanistan in a far more humiliating way than we lost Vietnam. And it looks so similar, it's crazy. Puppet dictator that ran away the second that he didn't have didn't have full full belief that we were going to stay and fight on his behalf. Right. I mean, come on. I didn't did I say puppet dictator. I didn't mean that puppet leader. I wouldn't refer to either of those people as dictators, but puppet leaders. They were they were installed by the United States. We didn't know that the entire Afghan military defense that we had trained for 20 years would just walk away. Yeah, well, they did. Everybody did. Right. So this is this is where we are now. Our soft power is incredibly weakening. And our military power is incredibly weakened. And so we're real good at blowing shit up. We're real good at blowing shit up. Tactically, force-on-force engagement, we're still the best there is. But fighting a foreign theater, broad-scale war, occupational force, we're not good at. We're not good at it. And all you have to do is look at our track record trying to do it. What the U.S. has always been good at is repelling a force the hell out of here or going in to an organized state, fighting a war, defeating the state apparatus itself, taking a capital and signing a treaty. That's actually like you can pretty much look at two military forces and go, if they engage this way, this is how the war is likely to end. Yeah. When you go into a nation that's not well organized and the people that live in that country are like, yeah, we don't care who signs a treaty. We're not doing it. It's a different. Then you're in a guerrilla warfare. You're in a different scenario. And then your handpicked leaders just really aren't leaders after all. And nobody respects them. And you end up with exactly what we got. So we've lost that ability to force what we want straight through military force and to buy it. That doesn't mean that either of them are gone. And this is what we have to think about, as I always say. From the time that the Roman Empire really began to fall apart until it was pretty much gone, was multiple centuries. We don't have that kind of time, right? This is a much accelerated thing, but it won't be tomorrow morning. And at the end of this year, while you will look back at this and go, holy shit, we won't be gone. We won't no longer be an empire yet. And there will still be the, the siren song of, don't worry, everything's fine. Plenty of people will still be saying that, but it's not. You need to build a non-brittle life 
for yourself now. That's why you've seen me ramping up the homesteading topics. That's why you've seen me ramping up the impetus to grow your own food, to build parallel networks. You've seen that in the last six months. I've been pushing the envelope with it harder and harder because we're going to need it. Because the only place for our nation to go, given how rich in, in humans, intellect, and natural resources we are, is back to making and producing stuff, things, and resources. Our export for the last 50 years has been digital dollars. That's our primary export, money. Export money and we get stuff. Well, take away the ability to export money in return for stuff at will and everything changes. That is a transitional economy and transitional economies are fucking painful. That's what we're going through. And that's what this whole decade will be by the time we're done with it. The people will understand this was a transitional economy. And it wasn't just a transition in tech. It is a transition in the entire order of the economic value represented by the United States. If you look at our GDP numbers versus some of our, our adversaries now, it's concerning to see their momentum upward and our momentum down. It's much more concerning if you peel back the, the first layer of that onion and say, well, what makes up our GDP? What, 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 what is our product? What is our domestic product really made up of? And you start looking at how much of it is pension payments. You know, how much of it is just literal money printing? Artificially inflated real estate, tax receipts, it's all bullshit. It's fundamental bullshit. And you can only paste that together for so long. So anyway, guys, for what it's worth, I have not seen a comment from somebody on YouTube into my stream yard for a long time. So if you guys are having active live chat, just know I'm not seeing you. And I don't know why. I am seeing the guys that are on Twitch for whatever reason. We have a Twitch glitch. Anyway, well, I have one more thing for you guys today. As I mentioned, I am going to be in Bastrop, Texas, teaching about biochar and some other stuff. And there'll be some farm tours and things like that. It's a really cool town and a really cool place and a really great venue and really cool people. And you should come there. But it's called Exit and Build. Exit and Build. And it just so happened that I got an email uh, this morning, and it was from an individual who said that they had moved out on, I think, six acres. And it was actually a, a comment on the blog. I'll read it to you. I don't usually read verbatim, but I'm going to do that this time. Um, and this was on, I got my new property. Now what? That episode I did last week it was really well received. I would add some caveats to anyone doing the green acres bit. Me and my family bought six acres plus house in rural Oklahoma several years ago. We managed to take care of the property, do some basic hobby gardening and farming, and even took care of my grandmother who moved in with us during her last few years. But after 12 years, we just couldn't do it anymore. Taking care of rural property is a lot of work, even just basic maintenance, especially if the property has a lot of trees. We lacked a large tractor, so any bush hogging, clearing had to be done old-fashioned way. Storms, earthquakes, droughts, floods, we faced it all in that decade. During that time, we also had to replace the home roof, the barn roof, and new fencing. Replace the AC and septic and install a storm shelter. Easily spent 30000 just in repairs and installations. And all that money and work was just to keep up a rural property. No commercial farming, no pot growing, no animal keeping, just maintaining the land. 
moving out of the city and buying a little plot of land seems like paradise, but people should do some homework before jumping in. The peace and quiet of the country is great, but it comes at a heavy cost, both in terms of time, sweat, and money. Well, I think if you buy a six-acre farm of cleared land and try to keep it the way that it is, you're absolutely correct. As to things like replacing fencing and air conditioning and stuff like that, the fence would be a lot bigger of an expense, definitely on a large property. I understand that. Um, but most of the other stuff would be not a tiny plot of land. You know, your, your septic costs the same based on how many people poop in your toilet. Yeah. So some of this is just, you know, no matter where you lived, uh, you would have like a roof, replacing a roof is an expense. But I think there is something that people look for a lot of land. And they tend to, to, to think in terms of farming ranching mindset, even if they're not farmers and ranchers. And you should. There's, there's two ways to handle this issue. Because, again, the basic expenses of a house are the basic expenses of a house. You can live in suburbia, and if you have to put a new roof on, it, it's expensive, right? But when we get out on a piece of property, and you know, I have three acres here, and I'd say 80% of it is grass. And just keeping that cut, even with the ducks doing their thing, it takes some effort. The fact that, you know, we get a darth in the winter and the summer doesn't bother me because I don't have to cut grass. But I've thought about this often. If I did decide ever to pull up stakes and buy a bigger piece of land, what would I buy? And I, honest to God, if I was starting from scratch right now on a new piece of land, would probably manage less land than I manage right now. I would probably look for something almost completely wooded with some sort of water um, resource on it. I would love a large pond, like over an acre, where I have the ability to be fish sustainable forever. Just, you know, go out anytime I'm hungry, just pull a fish out and eat it. I would love that. But most of it would be forest, trees. And maybe some trails, and you maintain the trails by driving a quad around on them. I probably would not do much with uh, livestock uh, on a large scale. And I would go on about my life, and I'd have my gardens in my house, and I would live in the woods, and I would consider, like, what is your livestock? Wild turkeys, squirrels, rabbits, things that I can shoot. And if I was going to get 20 acres, I would do that. If I was going to get 200 acres, I would do that. I'd have 200 acres and, and 198 of it or 199 of it would be woods and four-wheeler trails because there's no maintenance. There's no maintaining that. You just let everything grow. Ten acres, if you're trying to maintain it, will whoop your ass. And I think you have two ways you can do the more conventional where you have to maintain the land type thing. Uh, instead of like what I'm talking about is like a very intensive zone one, a little bit of zone two and a giant zone five permaculture. Right. You want to do more of like the zone three, zone four, zone two stuff. And you want to do on broad scale. You either need to be a farmer rancher where you have animals holistically grazing in rotation that do that shit for you. Or you need to be leasing to someone that's responsibly grazing the land. And I don't think that's the best option for the most people. I think it's a great option for who it works for. But if, if I bought six acres today and it was mostly wooded, I wouldn't clear more than half, half to an acre enough to have a really nice garden spot. And maybe, maybe a couple acres put a pond in, 
But again, I'm not main, I'm not maintaining that, right? I'm gonna drive the tractor around the little edge of the pond, you know, a, a few times a month or so to make sure that the grass doesn't grow and start growing trees into the into the pond itself. That's about it. And so, if you're gonna exit and build, and you have your eyes on larger properties, I'd like you to really think about uh, what this individual Ethan had to say. Main, if you go out and buy a 10-acre field, it is a lot of work. If you buy 10 acres of woods with a half acre cleared out for a garden in your house, it's no different than having a one-acre you know, one property or a half-acre property because the woods just do what the woods are going to do. And I think that there is a place for that for a lot of people in our space because those woods are a resource. And I can say the other thing that you could do is if you're young and you have the money and the time is put a lot of it in. Like if it's open space now, put it into zone four permaculture where it's a forest, but it's a it's a design forest. You're choosing what you plant. But in the end, it's a forest and it's self-maintaining. All right. With that, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Still don't know why I'm not seeing you guys. Uh, on the uh, YouTube comments today. That's that's actually never happened before, but I'm sure you're still there. I see the numbers in the online view, and so don't think I've been ignoring you guys today. Anyway, uh, if you like today's show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can support us, do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, if you start your online shopping there, you will support us a very small amount of it, but it, it, it really does add up and it really does help us do what we do. Today's item of the day is the Insta AccuSlim Sous V Precision Cooker. So I've recommended the Onova circulator for a long time. I still do. It's good. I had one that sort of kind of died. It heats up the water, but it didn't circulate anymore. A little fan wouldn't run. I bought a little nano fish tank uh, pump, stuck it in there and it worked. But I was also like, you know, it's a good time to try another brand. And so a few years ago, not a few years ago, a few months ago, I picked up this one, uh, this AccuSlim, which is made by the same people who make the Instapot. And I thought, give them a chance. It was on sale for 60 bucks when I bought it or 69 bucks, something like that. I think it's because they were coming out of the gate with a new product and they wanted to get market share. And so I thought, well, what the hell, I'll buy it. And it's a great sous circulator. It really is. They're 99 bucks now. So they're the same price. As the Anova, um, the Anova Bluetooth, or not the Bluetooth, the Anova Nano one. So they're about the same price. I'd say they're probably about the same quality. Uh, I just know this is a good one, and I really love sous vide. The write-up I have today gives you a whole bunch of things beyond making the great steak that you can do, like how to make yogurt, how to make cheese, how to make egg bites, how to boil eggs, how to make creme brulee, how to prep steaks in advance so that you just pull them out of the freezer and pitch them right in there defrosting meats and other items. There's a ton that a sous vide circulator can do for you. Check out the write-up. And remember, if you're going to pick up anything, you can start your shopping at tspaz.com. But if it's something, you know, kitchen tools, permaculture, et cetera, related, I've probably got some stuff I've reviewed on it. And if you see it on tspaz, I own it, I bought it, I spent my money on it, and I would do it again, or I would not recommend it to you. 
I also ask you to consider becoming a member of the support brigade today. You do that, you get discounts on tons of stuff. I just brought you in the last week, Renegade Butcher, all the spices and seasonings and mixes at Renegade Butcher, 10% off, and Mile High Distilling, which is the longest I've ever worked an MSB vendor to win them over in the history of the MSB. And they just sent me their this beautiful tower for my still that I'll try to get a video out on for you guys this week. Just amazing equipment. The welding there is artwork. And when you're looking at you know larger stills, you're talking about a significant investment. So 10% off, that'll pay for your membership, guys. So even if you don't like me, consider becoming an MSB member today. Tomorrow, I'm coming back. We're going to talk about growing tomorrow, growing yourself, growing your life, growing your network, growing your connections, and growing your influence by helping us grow Noster. If Noster scares you, Tune in tomorrow anyway. There's nothing to be scared of. If you can cut and paste some numbers, you can figure out how to set yourself up on Noster, install and use a client, and start interacting with some of the coolest people on the planet and partaking in the new economy of the world. Yes, the new economy of the world. It's integrated. It's there. It's ready to go. It is a marketplace already. Right now, the main marketplace is value for value and sharing thoughts, ideas, and things like that. And it's small dollars, right? You know, I, you go out and you get, oh, I got boosted for a hundred bucks. Well, that was three or a hundred sats. That was hundred bucks. That'd be cool. A hundred sats. That's, that's three and a half cents. But the fact that it can be done so instantly by anybody without providing any identification whatsoever, total freedom and unstoppability, you can't afford to ignore it. If what I said today had you at times thinking, first half of this show, what the hell are we going to do? We're going to build our lives, our influence, our networks, and our ability to communicate and do business with each other. That's the only thing we can do. And Noster's not the way. It's a way to do that. But it's going to be one of the most enabling protocols that's ever been unleashed to allow freedom of human beings to do business and exchange information for e with each other. If all you think Nostra is, is a version of Twitter on a blockchain, tune in tomorrow. I will rock your world. It is so much more than that. We are only getting started. We haven't even taken the cover off of it yet to see what's inside. Come check us out tomorrow. We will talk about growing Nostra and growing your life. And then we'll have an interview show Wednesday, something kind of like this show, probably on Thursday expert counsel on Friday and we'll do it all over again week after week as you guys know it I love doing it I love talking to you hope you got a lot out of today and I will catch you tomorrow with another one. are they gonna bail you out just run you around they said you should have a house the American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay Show you a better way